Hello, once again, I am Eric Snader, and welcome to another episode of Wild, Messy, Infinite Love. Can you believe that we are up to episode five? <sighs> My goodness, what a ride it has been so far this past month. Um, look, I'm going to be honest with you. This whole podcasting thing, for me, has been such a thrilling and terrifying and utterly captivating journey for me so far. Um, you know, the whole reason that I started this was because I felt this pull in my gut that this was the thing to do. Um, but that gut pull also involved all sorts of butterflies and goosebumps and a whole host of other emotions like fear, anxiety, and pure outrageous joy. It's as if the gambit of human emotions is flowing through me each and every week as I sit down at this desk and write these episodes and record these episodes. And folks, I am just so, so honored to be given this opportunity to speak to you all. Um, you know, whether this podcast has a thousand listeners or 10 listeners, um, it doesn't matter because ultimately this whole project is not about patting myself on the back. Um, it's not about being smarter than others. It's not my ability to flaunt my knowledge or theology or the Bible or spirituality. Um, the whole purpose of this is the humble aim of simply sparking conversations for you. Conversations that help you to think through your own experience, that help you to be intentional in your communities, and that help us all as we continue to shape and mold the world around us, much like the world that we've inherited was molded before us. To quote the great Khaleesi, Queen Daenerys, Stormborn Targaryen of Game of Thrones, the aim is to leave the world better than we were given. And that, my friends, is a sacred, humbling, and awe-inspiring task. And to be given the opportunity to even share any of this with just a few of you out there in the world is just simply amazing and humbling and incredible. So thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to work through this with me. Thank you for entering into these conversations with me. I am just so, so honored. But anyway, let's get into the episode, shall we? Um, this week's episode, episode five, is titled Hats, Rocks, and Other Metaphors. Um, so another thing real quick before we get into the episode proper um, I just want to say that I think this will probably be the last week in which we focus on um, Jesus's parables, though definitely not the final week in which we will be looking at the Bible as a lens through which we can view the human experience of love, um, particularly within ourselves and our relationships and our world. Um, but I think it's time to move into another mode of thinking. So with that being said, I've decided that our final parable lesson in this particular series, I'm sure we'll talk about parables much more in the future, uh, but for this particular series, the final parable will be the parable of the wise and foolish builders found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Um, now, this is a really fascinating parable, which is often used to support being a Christian above and against being a member of a quote-unquote secular society. But in, you know what? I really think that the meaning of this parable is a lot deeper than simple adherence to one religion or society over another. 
This parable is about the true self and the false self and how we root ourselves in both identities which exist within us. So let's talk about it. Let me tell you a story of a boy. This boy had a mother. She had light brown hair that hung to her shoulders. Her blue-gray eyes were fonts of love and care. This boy would spend hours singing songs with his mother. Songs of teapots and spiders and Disney characters and state capitals and so many more. This boy loved singing these songs with his mother. There was no greater joy than those moments sitting upon her lap, singing his heart out. As the boy grew older, he sang with his mother less and less, but he didn't stop singing. The boy in middle school and high school discovered musical instruments that aided him in his singing instead of his mother's voice. He discovered the piano and guitar and began pouring his heart out upon the notes and words of his songs. Both the songs that he listened to on the radio, as well as the fledgling tunes that he wrote for himself. Songs about the emotions he felt, the girls that he like-liked, and the world that he saw around him, springing with beauty and life and music. The boy became so proficient in his music that he decided to pursue it in college. In the music program, however, the boy quickly discovered that his companion, Music, was not something to be performed for others. It wasn't part of his, who he was, but rather as an outlet for his own being. He soon became tired of the method and the theory behind the music which he had to learn Sorry, in early mornings. Come right on, now. Siri. Uh, Siri, everyone. So... Where was I? In the music program, however, the boy quickly discovered that his companion music was not something to be performed for others, but rather it was an outlet for his own being. It wasn't who he was. It was pointing to who he was. He soon became tired of the method and the theory behind the music, which he had to learn in early morning classes and windowless, dark classrooms. He left his music program in search of something different, something that would fill him with the words that he needed, something that would inspire his heart to craft the music that spoke his true heart. He found that place in the religious studies department, which challenged his faith and brought all thoughts, doubts, questions, and fears to bear. The boy wrestled with this. He was branded traitor and heretic by those whom he had held so dear before, and yet this gospel message he had discovered in this questions and doubts and fears compelled him to new heights. They surged through him like a melody dripping with milk and honey. It was intoxicating and there was no going back. The boy knew grief as well. After his first year of college, his best friend, a young man, committed suicide. Tears ran hot and thick upon his face that summer none more so than on the day of the memorial service, when the boy sang his best friend's favorite songs as a final parting. In those notes, the boy found solace, 
In those notes, the boy felt the loved ones he knew gather around him to support him. And those notes gave the boy the courage and strength to grieve his loss and to help those around him grieve the loss of this young man who was so, so dear to so many. The boy continued to pour into his music. Never once did he let himself be cut off from that which gave his voice the sound it needed. Even when his longtime girlfriend, the woman he thought he loved and had intended to marry, ended things. Even when he felt as though his world was crashing down. Even as he neared the end of his collegiate career and felt as though his path was misty and foggy and completely terrifying. In those moments, the boy clung to his music all the harder. It gave him the courage he needed as it always had. It gave him the words that existed deep within his soul. The music continued as the boy met his wife. Mirth and joy exploding from their love for one another, pouring over themselves into others, shaping them, molding them into who they were to be. The boy's own discovery was hidden within the folds of his music, of his voice, of his questions and his doubts and his uncertainty over the future. The music took hold of him again and again, giving him the voice he needed. And thus, it continues. For that boy, of course, is me. So, you see, music held, has held such a sway in my life for so long and I can honestly say that I'm not really sure how I would exist without it. But music, I don't think it was what ultimately shaped my life. While music has been an ever-present companion of mine, it was never the ultimate shaper or molder. It was a vessel of light which revealed something deeper than even itself. It revealed the words I needed to express what was deepest within me. But what was deepest within me is not music. It is the true self. In those moments of pure joy, like singing silly songs with my mother, I witnessed the true self. In those moments of profound grief, fear, and anxiety, I discovered the true self in words and notes that gave me the comfort or the courage that I needed. This is why I think using God language has been so helpful for me and for many others. The spirit of God, that thing that connects us to our deepest self, to others, and to the world around us, is also something that is much bigger than us. Our deepest, truest self is that image which reveals this divine spirit, which is so much bigger than all of us. Our true selves are like the drop of the divine that will eventually return back into the great sacred sea of the divine spirit. You see, the story that I just told you at its heart is about the false self and the true self. These false and true selves are also one way of interpreting what Jesus was talking about in his parable of the wise and foolish builder in Matthew. So Matthew reads, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What this interpretation of the true and false self would say is that 
we root ourselves in one of two things, our false self or our true self. So I suppose I sh- we should probably talk about what I mean when I talk about the true and false self. Um, just a quick disclaimer, I don't claim to be an expert on the true or false self. Um, really, the main reason I mention them is because this sort of vocabulary has been really helpful for me in my own journey and my own experience. Um, one particular voice that has been greatly influential in this area has been Richard Rohr, who does a lot of work surrounding the false self, the shadow, the true self, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I would encourage you to check out his book, The Immortal Diamond. Um, it's all about discovering the true self. And seriously, it is continually blowing my mind wide open. This dude is seriously wise. Um, check it out. I am dead serious. One of the best books I've ever read. So anyway, long story short, um, I, in talking about the false and true self, am really just skimming the surface um, in an attempt to foster much deeper conversations for all of us. So here we go. Um, I want to begin by talking about the false self. So the false self is sort of the surface layer identifiers which we claim to make us us. This is the stuff like the hometown we grew up in, our hobbies, our jobs, our physical appearances, our favorite foods, mine's in particular sushi, um, and locations to travel to. Um, You know, like the social locations which we occupy and define ourselves by, these are the sorts of things that make up our false selves. Um, Now, I wanna say up front that oftentimes the false self gets a bad rap. Um, The vocabulary used to describe the false self isn't necessarily um, positive language. The false self, it makes it feel like that self is lying to you. Um, But, you know, ultimately, I don't think the false self is inherently bad or evil. It gets a bad rap and for a decent reason. And, you know, we'll talk about that. But, you know, take, for instance, the story that I told you from my own personal experience. You know, in this story, my music is my false self. It's that surface level identity which I formed myself around, but which is ultimately not the source of who I am. Our false selves are not necessarily bad. In fact, they can be very helpful um, for forming ourselves. Um, You know, as was the case in my experience, my false self identity of music helped lead me to the deeper, true self. So the problem we run into in regards to our false self is when we begin rooting who we are in these surface level identities. Um, This is because the false self ultimately is not satisfying. It is, after all, just surface level. It does not have the depth for us to fully root ourselves into it. It's like shifting sand. You know, think about how many different hats you wear in a day. Maybe you wear a lawyer hat. You wear a mother hat, a friend hat, a sister hat, a wife hat, um, a PTA hat, a writer hat, and whatever other hat you can think of. These hats, so to speak, are our false selves. And we often have much more than one false self. Um, And again, these false selves at their cores are just different hats that we wear. Now imagine trying to root your entire identity in this meshwork of hats. Um, It really is like shifting sand because we are constantly moving fluidly through each different false self hat, so to speak. 
Um, and it's impossible to maintain the balance needed to juggle all of these hats and somehow find some semblance of stability when it comes to self-identity. Eventually, something falls. The marriage falls apart. The friend claims you don't have enough time for them. A death in the family occurs. Some form of disruption enters in, and when one hat falls, often the whole unsteady pyramid comes crashing down. Um, you know, this happened to me multiple times in college, and if I'm being honest, it'll probably happen to me again. But when I'm, in particular, when I mentioned my girlfriend dumping me in college, that was a really difficult experience for me to work through. You know, she lived in another country and I had been planning to move over there after I graduated from college. I was planning on marrying this girl. Um, you know, in addition to this, I had placed all of this certainty into my identity that youth ministry was going to be what I did following school. You know, I had begun rooting myself in the false identity of my job. You know, the youth ministry student that I was, whose natural progress was to become a youth pastor at some church. But when my girlfriend dumped me, the whole pyramid fell apart. Not only did um, the surface level, level identifier of my relationship with this girl, not only did that die, but once that died, my whole world started falling down around me. All of a sudden, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do after school. You know, all of a sudden, the other false self identities that I'd wrapped myself in didn't give me the depth of soil that I needed for rooting and nourishment. When the storm came and friends, the storms will come. The sand shifted. You know, in some cases, the sand was completely washed away, leaving my unsturdy structure to come crashing down. And that is why the false self gets a bad rap. That's why the false self can be so dangerous. You know, at its best, it points us to a deeper part of ourselves, but at its worst, it keeps us grounded in a shallow world where actual growth and nourishment is unable to take place and where fragile, where the fragile order of things come crashing down far too easily. And I fear this is the case for many people in Western culture, particularly in America. We get so wrapped up in rooting ourselves in this false self surface level identity of needing to look good, needing to have enough money, needing, you know, like whatever else that we feel like we need. And when something falls apart, everything comes crashing down because we're rooting our entire self identities in these false selves, in these surface level markers of what we claim to be. Um, but in my, in my own story and in the story of Matthew, we see that there's still hope. You know, when the false self points us in the right direction, we find something deeper, something more, something totally foreign and bigger than ourselves, and yet something that is intimately known and intimately a part of us. It's as if to say the true self is paradoxically the divine spirit which pulses through all things and yet is also mysteriously a unique phenomenon found only within the individual. It's the same as saying that you, in all of your units, is a unique phenomenon in the universe, one which will never be seen again in all of your particularity, and yet you also share in the same spirit of forming and creation, which forms and creates all things. You are you and we all at the same time. I know, confusing, right? That is so hippy-dippy and ethereal and like, 
heady, like all the way up here level stuff. This is the stuff I live for, by the way. Um, but I mean, that's what the true self is. And we really do discover it in a lot of different ways. So we can discover it through the false self pointing the way like my music did, or we can discover it in a moment of disruption, another experience of mine. Even though my world fell apart with the breakup, I eventually found something deeper within myself that existed beyond the relationships and surface level parts of my being. In that disruption, as the whole thing fell down, I discovered a little sliver or chunk of something more. I think it was the eternal part of me that told me, you know, whatever happens, you will continue to survive. It was the part that said, yes, this moment in life sucks, but there are so many more moments in life left to come. It was the part of me that said, this life is fleeting. Things will come and go. You will experience hardship and happiness in your life. And yet there is a mooring here deep within you that continues to persist. It will continue to brim with joy and happiness. It will continue to nourish when all other wells have dried up. This is the true self. Some people talk about it as though it's God, the divine image. Um, Others call it the part of us which marks us as children of God, no matter our background, gender, race, or, you know, whatever else. Still others call it source or spirit or the great other or, you know, whatever other language you have for it. For me, the best way I can think of it is as the phenomenon of Jesus himself, who in Christian doctrine is said to be both divine and human at the same time. Jesus is the archetype of the shared divine spirit of formation and creation. And yet Jesus is also the unique phenomenon of the human life. And this paradoxical spirit is what Jesus says we should root ourselves in. It's like a rock on which we can build a firm foundation for a house. It's like a deep fountain brimming with water. It's like a rich field full of nutrients and soil that is deep enough for us to take root and grow. This true self is deep, deeper than we could ever imagine. It is firm. It's a nourishing bed that fosters growth and expansion. To root ourselves in this deep, firm, true self is to say that no matter the hats that we wear, there is something both divine and human about us. We are both human in our desires and dreams and our false selves, which act almost as glasses to begin glimpsing into this mirror. But when we look deep enough, not only do we see ourselves and the different hats that we wear, we see a deep source of joy and nourishment. It's a source which carries us through all the wild and messy parts of life because it's infinite. And friends, what is infinite can never run out. It is an endless source from which we continue to pull because it is both ourselves, so we intimately know it, but it is also God or spirit or source or whatever else you may want to call it. It is the yeast and the seeds. It is the good Samaritan. It is the good, good wine. Now, I know this seems really ethereal and hippy-dippy, but, you know, when it comes to the true source, honestly, the only way I can talk about it is in metaphor, because metaphors are meant to communicate an unknown quantity or an unknown thing in knowable terms. It is extremely paradoxical, because the true self really is both foreign and yet intimately known by us. But when we root ourselves in this deep, true self source, it really is like being built upon a rock. 
it's inexplicable, but when I have personally gone through suffering and hardship or when I felt like my world was falling apart, it was the true self which carried me through it. It's like those moments when you go through a hard time of life and in the moment you are just so focused on the moment. And yet when you get to the other side, you look back and you see how you grew. You see how you changed, you, how you coped. In the moment, it felt like the walls were falling down. But when you get to the other side, it's almost as if a new structure with bigger and more expansive walls have gone up. This is the true self in action. It helps us to adapt and push through whatever it is we're facing. It helps us to be rooted in the moment, whether that be a moment of pure ecstasy and joy or sheer suffering and terror. One of my favorite ideas comes from C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. In it, Lewis talks about the dimensions of time. He talks about how the past is an unmoving, unchangeable beast. What happened in the past stays in the past. It can't change. The future, alternatively, is the great mystery of the unknown. Nothing about the future can be truly experienced because the future is always ahead of us. We never take a step there. Lewis says that the only place where we can experience God, the only place where the veil thins and the distance between divine and human is brought close, is in the present, in the moment. The past is the past. We can't change it. We can't mold it. You know, it's like spending our time looking at pictures. There might be joy there, but ultimately we are turning away from the moment, being caught in an unchangeable moment. The same can be said of the future. Worrying about where we are headed rather than where we are now is another way in which we turn away from the divine. It is in the present, in the wild and messy moments of our lives where we find God. It is in the moment where we find the true self. Because the true self does not exist in the past or the future. The true self is here and now, much like the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus pronounced in his gospel ministry. So how do we root ourselves in the true self then? That, my friends, is a great, great, great question. And one that I ultimately can't answer for you. You know, in my experience, taking time to meditate, be silent, be in prayer and solitude. That, those kinds of things were helpful for me to discover the true self. You know, I think that's why I'm so drawn to Christian mystics like Richard Rohr or Julian of Norwich or John Philip Newell and the whole Celtic Christian tradition. Um, the silence and contemplative spile speaks to me in a unique way. However, for others, it may come in corporate religious experience. Which, you know, I think that's why religion in all of its varied and many forms has continued throughout all ages of humanity. It gives us some way of communicating this idea of the true self. You know, but even beyond corporate religious experience, others, um, it comes through communal living and our relationships. Um, for some, it comes in traveling the world and experiencing new cultures and learning about other people's experiences. And that is their lens into the spirit, which is bigger than any and all of us. Ultimately, you are the one who has to be able to answer that question. And this, I think, is why false selves are so vital in our lives and why they ultimately are not bad or harmful. Because they tell us things about their, ourselves. It's as if they're whispering from the true self. They are telling us things like, yes, this speaks to you on a deeper level. Or, no, that's really not your thing. 
They lead us to the deeper recesses of our deepest selves. It's as though they're guides for us, all trying to point the way to the deepest pools within our souls and our bodies. So I would encourage you to listen to yourself. Listen to your body. Listen to your soul. Try to open your ears to hear and your eyes to see. Like I said before, once you taste, you can't untaste. Once you see, you can't unsee. When we open our eyes and begin to take the time for mindfulness, we discover that something within ourselves which speaks of something much, much bigger than everything and yet is intimately known and felt within our unique person is found. When we open our eyes and begin to take the time for mindfulness, we discover that something within ourselves. So friends, may you discover your true self. May you find the guides of your false self pointing the way to the deepest parts of you. And may you be rooted in your true self like a rock which withstands all things. May you be rooted in the rich, nourishing soil which fosters your own growth and expansion. And may you fully live into this wild, messy, and infinite life of love. Peace and love, y'all.